This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. I invite you to open up a copy of God's Word to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, we're continuing our series and journey through this amazing epistle. 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 12. 1 Peter 4, starting in verse 12. We're reading verses 12 through 19, 1 Peter chapter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And I want to look at this passage as it pertains to suffering Uh, from three angles or three points when it comes to suffering. First, it it tests our faith. It's sharing in Christ's suffering. And it's God's will. It's test our faith. It's sharing in Christ's suffering. And it's God's will. So first, let's look at how suffering tests our faith. Peter begins this section, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Peter addresses them as beloved, that they are beloved by God the Father because of Christ. He wants to comfort them and assure them because when suffering comes, we wonder, does God love me? Is God still good? And so Peter assures them, yes, yes, he does. But he tells them not to be surprised when it does come. Peter said that this shouldn't be foreign to them, which is interesting because they are foreigners. If you're a Christian, you're a foreigner. He calls them exiles in chapter 1. So, of course, they should not be surprised. We should not be surprised when suffering comes upon us. But it's not easy. 
Peter says, or calls it a fiery trial. If you touch fire, kids, it burns. It hurts. And so Peter tells them that this is going to be painful. It's going to be difficult. But don't be surprised. It's not something strange. In fact, we actually see this throughout Scripture. If you look at Job, the reason why Job suffered because was because he was righteous. And Job had a hard and rough life. But these trials are actually meant to strengthen and purify us. Peter talks about the trials early on in chapter 1. He says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then James tells us to consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance, endurance. It, it, it changes us. It, it shapes us and molds us into the image of Christ. And so suffering for the name of Christ is, is never meaningless. It's purposeful. It's meant to draw our eyes to Christ. And so as Pastor Brian reminded us last week when we looked at chapter 4, verse 1, that we are to arm ourselves with this kind of thinking. That this is expected as a Christian that I will suffer. And actually with that, with that mindset, and I think it actually helps you in the midst of your suffering so that you can say, I know this was going to happen. Jesus told his disciples that the world is going to hate you because it hates me. The world hates Jesus. The world hates Christians. And so this is a sharing in Christ's suffering. It's sharing in Christ's suffering. Let's look at that. This is a, a participation a sharing with Christ. And we see this three times in this passage. You look at verse 13. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering. Verse 14. You, if you are insulted for the name of Christ. Verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, the point is that it's suffering tied to your faith. It's, it's very specific. And what does Peter say? He says to rejoice. How is it that we are to rejoice in the midst of suffering? How? Well, Peter tells us that there's a, there's a future aspect. Peter says 
when his glory is revealed. That is Christ. That is one day he's, he's coming back. One day he's coming back for his bride. The bride that he cherishes and loves and laid his life down for. He's coming back for her. And so what Peter does throughout this entire letter is, is point us and help us to look towards the future. To lift our eyes up and say, my Savior is coming back. And so we see this same thing in the supper. In the Lord's Supper, we are reminded of the death of Christ, that he has paid for my sin, that my sins are forgiven. But in the Lord's Supper, we are proclaiming his death until he returns. We are looking forward to that day. And we can do so with joy. But remember, it's specifically tied to Christ's suffering. Think about it. Think about how much Christ our Savior suffered. Verse 14, if you were insulted for the name of Christ. Think about the insults that were hurled at Jesus Christ. If you are the son of God, if you are who you say you are, come down from that cross. A a crown of thorns to mock him as if he's king. Hail, hail, king of the Jews. That our savior suffered on that cross. Bearing the reproach of men and the wrath of his father. And so when you are insulted for the name of Christ. Whether at work or at school. Where people are mocking you because you're a Christian. Or people make fun of you because you bear the name of Christ. People say you, you actually you don't sleep in on Sunday mornings. Oh, you, you read that book. Oh, you you pray to someone that you don't see. Or you're you're a Jesus freak. That you believe in a God who's who hung up on a cross and died. You believe in the the fairy tales in the Bible? Peter says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. You are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. He empowers you. He assures you that you belong to Jesus Christ and that nothing, even in regards to suffering, nothing will separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. 
And you think about the spirit as was prophesied in Isaiah. And we see this fulfilled in the gospel accounts. That the spirit of God rested on Christ. And so Christ who was insulted, who suffered and died. You see the parallel now with with Christians who have the spirit of God in them, who also will suffer before we are glorified. Jesus was called a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But the suffering of Christ brings about blessing for us. But Peter makes a contrast here. In verse 15. He says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. He's making a contrast. Hey, you suffer as a Christian, but not as one who is sinning. What does he mean by that? He's saying if you, if you, if you kill someone or you steal something or you do any other type of evil, that is your fault. And there will be Suffering. There will be consequences for your sin, for your actions. But these are unbecoming for a Christian. This is not how the Christian is supposed to walk and act. Peter earlier on tells us to be holy. That we're, we're different now. We're not the same anymore. However, verse 16, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. This is interesting. Did you know that the word Christian only appears three times in the New Testament? Once here and twice in Acts. And Peter says, let him glorify God in that name. I think one of the things that makes it hard for us to sometimes preach the gospel to people is because we are ashamed. You know, Peter talks about if you're insulted for the name of Christ. And so we, we somewhat know that if, if I tell someone that I'm a Christian, if I tell someone that I, I read the Bible or I, or I go to church or I pray or I have a small group, they're going to judge me. They're going to make fun of me. They're going to reject me. Perhaps they'll no longer be my friend anymore. And so there's, there's fear and, there, and there's shame And so that prohibits us from actually declaring Christ to those around us. But it's amazing when you look at the apostles, the disciples. After they were persecuted for the sake of Christ. In Acts 5 it says, then they left the presence of the council 
rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Their whole focus was to give praise and honor to God through preaching the gospel. But Peter says, let him not be ashamed. If you're a Christian, you have no need to worry or fear to be afraid of what people think about you. Think about this for a second. Peter, who's writing this letter, is the same Peter who's a disciple of Christ. Very, very outspoken man. And Peter was, was very strong in his desire to want to honor and please Jesus when he was walking on earth with him. Jesus told his, his disciples that all of you are going to desert me. What did Peter say? Peter said, I would never do such a thing. He was very confident. Jesus tells him, you will deny me three times. Peter says, I will die for you. And then when the soldiers, the chief priests, they come, they take Jesus away. All the disciples scatter, just as Jesus had said. And Peter, when he's confronted three different times, saying, don't don't you know him? Aren't you, aren't you one of his followers? No, I don't know him. I don't know the man. I don't know him. That's when the rooster crowed. And he remembered what his savior said, that you would deny me three times. And then moments later, his savior is hung up on a cross. And you think about perhaps the shame that Peter would feel for denying his Savior. And now he's put up on a cross and yet that Savior dies for Peter. That Savior takes the shame. All of the shame and guilt that Peter felt so that Peter could pen these words. Let him not be ashamed because Peter knew Christ has taken my shame. He has taken my guilt. He has taken my judgment. I don't have to fear anymore. I can rejoice. And so you, Christian, you, Christian, you, beloved by the Father, need not be afraid to proclaim Christ. Because there was a Savior who has already borne the guilt for you. He has borne the shame for you and I. So we not, need not be ashamed and we can rejoice and glorify God in the name that I am a Christian. That when I meet people for the first time, we can tell them I'm a Christian. And yeah, they're going to think you're weird. They might laugh at you. They might make fun of you. They might not want to talk to you after that. And you and I want to proclaim Christ. Now let's look at how suffering in this context is 
God's will. And Peter says something interesting here when he talks about judgment in verse 17. He talks about how judgment begins at the household of God. That's interesting. How is there judgment? I was just talking about how Christ took our judgment for us. How is that possible? Well, I think what Peter is talking about in this context is not judgment that is to punish the Christian because Christ, thankfully, has taken all of that for us. But as Peter has spoken about how this is a fiery trial, that this is meant to purify the church. This is meant to purify the church, that in the church, in the the visible church on a Sunday morning, that there are Christians and that there are non-Christians. And I think one of the things that suffering does in that context, it shows us who is a Christian, who is not a Christian. And that for those who are Christians, that suffering is actually meant to strengthen our faith. To help us to cling more to Christ and less on the things of the world. So what does Peter mean when he says, if the righteous is scarcely saved? In verse 18, this is a, this is a quote from Proverbs 11. If the righteous is scarcely saved, what is, what is scarcely saved? What is Peter talking about? Does it mean that we are barely saved? That we're just hanging on by the, the skin of our teeth? No, I think what Peter means here is that we are saved in the midst of suffering. We are saved with difficulty. I think the Apostle Paul actually helps us with this in, in Acts 14, verse 22. What did Paul say? He said that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. That the Christian is going to suffer That the Christian will be persecuted for the sake of Christ, but that we will be saved, but that it's not going to be easy. Jesus talks about the, the narrow way. It's a road that is filled with difficulty and suffering, but this is the only suffering that we are going to face. The Christian is awaiting the glorious return of Christ, where there will be no more suffering. There's, there's no more pain. In, in the new heaven and the new earth, there will be no one there to make fun of you because you're a Christian, because everyone there is a Christian. There's no more sin. However, Peter makes a contrast It says, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? If you're not a Christian, what will become of you? Peter actually tells us the answer early in this chapter, verse 5. 
But they, speaking of those who do not know Christ, they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. That there is, there is judgment for you if you're not a Christian. What will be your outcome? That when you stand before the living and just and holy God, you will have to give an account for your life. And you can't say, I, I, I was pretty good. I, I wasn't that ungodly. I wasn't that unrighteous. There were some good deeds that I, I did throughout my entire life. I was a, a, a good spouse. I, I took care of my children. I, I went to church. I, I read the Bible. I, I, I prayed. None of those things will allow you entrance into the kingdom of God. Why? Because you do not obey the gospel of God. Because you are ungodly, because you are a sinner. And guess what? I was in the same boat too. And maybe you think, I am too sinful and too evil and too wicked for God. God would never save me. You are not too sinful. Look at what Peter says earlier. For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus did not come for the healthy. Jesus did not come for the righteous. Jesus came to save the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. And so he calls you to come to him. A savior who will not reject you who will not turn you away, and perhaps there's a lot of shame and guilt in your life, Christ has taken that already. Put your trust in him and in him alone. Peter ends this section speaking about the sovereignty of God. Look at verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is not, this is not a surprise. Peter actually talked about this earlier on, speaking about suffering for, for God's will. He says in chapter 3, verse 17, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, then for doing evil. And I say, how is that possible? How can it be God's will that I suffer for the sake of Christ? Isn't, isn't God good? Isn't God love? How can I suffer according to his will? Well, think about it. Think about the, 
the greatest suffering ever. The greatest suffering ever was according to God's plan. It was according to God's will. Not only was this prophesied in the Old Testament, but this was decided long, 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 long ago between the members of the Trinity. And so you think about Christ and you think about all he did on the earth for us. Isaiah 53, 5 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And Peter tells us this. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sins and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. The suffering of Christ was according to plan. It was all a part of God's will that Jesus faced the fiery trial. Just think about that. Jesus had to be perfect. Everyone was looking forward to Messiah, the anointed one. And so when Jesus, who fasted for 40 days, he's in the desert, and he's tempted by the devil. What a parallel with Jesus and Adam here. He's tempted by the devil. If you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Jesus could have done that. He was hungry. And yet he turns his eyes to his father. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is faced with a test. If he gives in to the devil's temptation, he fails. And that's what happened to Adam in the garden. The devil comes in and he fails the test. He disobeys God. But Jesus, the new Adam, he resists the devil. He resists temptation. And yet he's the one who's hung up on the cross. Peter says, don't suffer as a murderer or a thief or as as an evildoer. Christ is the one who's innocent, but he's deemed a criminal. Guilty. 
although he was pure and righteous. He's the righteous one who dies for the unrighteous. And this was all according to the plan of God. Jesus resists temptation, perfectly obeys the law, dies as a perfect, spotless sacrifice to earn and secure your salvation. Christ did that all for his bride. Because he loves his bride. And so he lays his life down willingly to suffer at the hands of sinful and wicked men and also to bear the wrath, the just wrath that we deserve. He bears that for us so that we might be his people, that we might be a part of the household of God. Hebrews tells us that Jesus entrusted himself to the Father, that while on earth he he made cries to God through prayer, and that he was was heard because of his, his faithfulness, his obedience. And so because of that too, Peter ends this section telling us that we also entrust our souls to a faithful creator. That God who created the world and everything in it is the same one who planned to save us. And he's faithful to keep us until the end. And so that we can entrust our souls to him. Reminds me of it is well with my soul, that your soul is secure in Christ. But Peter wants us to do good while we suffer. That in the midst of suffering and persecution, what Peter lays out for us in this letter goes all the way back to chapter 2. Being subject to the governing authorities. That wives are to submit to their husbands. That husbands are to love and and show respect to their wives. That as a church, we are to be hospitable to one another and love one another. To forgive one another. And that when we're faced with all different kinds of suffering, which we'll look at next week, we can cast all our anxieties and cares upon him because he's the one who cares for us. So that in the midst of your suffering, that when people revile you, that you can cry out to your father because he cares for you. And that's how you entrust your soul to him. That's how you do good by going to him in prayer. And perhaps maybe one day you're killed because you're a Christian. There are Christians all all over the world who are killed because of their faith, tortured because of their faith. But as the song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, reminds us, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. 
his kingdom is forever. And last, one of the things that we can do is proclaim Christ. This is 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And here's the purpose, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are saved to tell other people about Jesus. To tell other people about the Savior who rescued you, who redeemed you, who laid down his life for you. Because there's no shame for you anymore. There's no, there's no guilt for you anymore. So Christian church as a as a church body we are called now to go out and declare Christ regardless of what people say knowing that suffering will come but knowing that this is the message the gospel message that actually brings people out of darkness into light let us pray Father, we give you thanks for you are faithful and good that you would seek to save and rescue and redeem us through your son, that you love and cherish us, not because of things we've done, but because of who you are. So, Father, we give you thanks for the suffering of Christ. We give you thanks that the judgment of Christ brings about our blessing, forgiveness of sin, imputed righteousness, that you are our God and we are your people. And, Lord, I pray for those who do not know you, those who have not trusted in Christ. Lord, that you would draw them to your son, that they might behold Christ and love and worship him above all things. We thank you, Father, for your faithfulness to us. Help us to endure in the midst of suffering and to proclaim Christ. And we pray these things in his precious and holy name. Amen.